Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now the seventh seal... When it was opened, the following uh, trumpets, the seven trumpets, are announced. Each angel blows his trumpet. You would uh, <coughs> think that there would be some reference to the opening of the book, but there is no reference to the book ever being opened. The book was, uh, they worried because the book was sealed, now when the seven seals have been released or removed, well, there's uh, uh, nothing said about the book uh, being open. But <clears throat> evidently, what we read in the seven trumpets and the seven bold judgments and the remainder of the book uh, constitutes the, the book. Uh, we may come in chapter 10, when we come to the little book, uh, how to, uh, how to describe its contents or what does it signify, uh, other than the fact that, uh, you might want to say that it begins a history from that moment in God's judgments to the destiny, uh, of the world and of the events, the last events. But before we, uh, notice the the, silence, the reference to the silence, which is, uh, refers to the seventh seal, uh, I want to point out uh, two things that might be helpful uh, with reference to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter is the chapter of assurance. It's a chapter of warning and, the, uh, and promise. God warns first, then there is assurance, that despite the warning, despite the persecution that's coming on the earth, uh, there, is, there will be safety. And then uh, produces an illustration in the chapter 15, 16, 17, describes uh, God's promise. Now, the, uh, assure, the, the warning was, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. He now, <clears throat> this, uh, here is a warning to the angels mm, that they are unable to hurt the earth or bring any judgment upon the earth until God uh, seals his servants. Now, <clears throat> then uh, in uh, chapter so we have not only the warning there, but we have his protection in the sea. In the Old Testament, Joseph had a seal. Pharaoh gave to him his signet ring, his seal, uh, showing that he was prime minister, that he had authority. Um, then uh, in 
the days of uh, Asherius, the king, Artaxerxes, in history, uh, gave uh, his signet ring, you know, his seal, had the seal on his ring. He gave it uh, to Haman. But after Mordecai, uh, after God revealed to the king in the night, you know, about his trouble, wouldn't let him sleep, uh, the, the ring was taken from Haman and given to Mordecai. And Mordecai had uh, the seal of the, uh, of the ring. Then uh, in Daniel, well, the lion's den was sealed. In, uh, in the New Testament, the the Lord's tomb was sealed. Uh, so uh, in, in in these sealings, why you see the idea of safety, security. You see, there was a warning always preceding. Then you had the uh, God's protection, and then you have God's promise. Here in Revelation seven, the promise is, uh, "They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them." Uh, nor any heat, for the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them. Now, <clears throat> in, we didn't notice that last time because we were rushing there. The 17th verse gives you the character of Christ as a shepherd. In the New Testament, of course, we're familiar with the usage that the Lord himself made. Uh, he referred to himself as a good shepherd. And uh, that the, sh- uh, the sheep heard his voice, you know, and the shepherd cared for uh, the sheep. Well, in the in Palestine, that was a, a a great job. It was a task to care for the sheep. The, the shepherd put himself in danger uh, many, many times to keep his flock together, keep them from falling over the mountains and so on. And it says that he shall lead them under living waters. Well... Uh, that's very familiar, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, because this is the same writer, and he gives us kindred thoughts concerning the Lamb. Of course, in the Bible, he's called the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, and the Chief Shepherd. Uh, so, uh, then uh, verse 14 says, And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the Great Tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. It's, uh, uh, you need to note what, uh, the rest of the Bible has to say about the blood of Christ there. I mean, in other words, it's, uh, preaching material, what I'm getting at. If you connect, uh, in Romans 3.25, uh, the blood of Christ is said to be a propitiation or expiation, a satisfaction to God, see? And then Romans 5, uh, tells us that we're justified by His blood. First uh, Peter uh, talks about the incorruptible sacrifice, the blood, see, that it's uh, without spot. And then uh, uh, Ephesians 1, uh, 7 tells us that we have redemption through his blood, see. So uh, Hebrews tells you that we have, that our conscience is purged by his blood. So... Here in in Revelation, oh, the article is on the, the, the made white. That is, these that came out of great tribulation. Now, the 144,000, of course, uh, primarily, directly refers to uh, Jews uh, of the Jewish tribe. In other words, if a man told me 
suppose you said you were uh, one of those 144,000, you're a Gentile. And I come back and ask you, what tribe are you? See? These, are, these are they that came out of great tribulation. Who were they? 12,000 out of each tribe. Now, tell me what tribe you belong to. If you can't tell me what tribe you belong to, how can you tell me you're one of the 144,000? Now, you could get yourself in that in the next group, see, the great multitude, because uh, they are seen, noticed, as out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation on the earth. And primarily, this will refer and have to do with people who are living on the earth at the time uh, immediately preceding the return of Christ. Of course, that's uh, because they are the ones come out of the tribulation, the great one. The definite article specifies it. Uh, yet, uh, an overall look of the book of Revelation and the point of time in which this occurs, I think you'll understand, uh, we'll see later, uh, or have no difficulty in, in realizing that it pertains to all who have come out of tribulation, uh, whenever, whatever time they lived, in whatever period uh, they live, and that it will include all of the saints of God. But <clears throat> uh, I thought maybe we might uh, make those well, comments. It might be worth it. Well, now this, this right here will be the tribulation of the end time. Oh, what have they been tried for? This this group here. These Jews. Are they preaching Jesus Christ? Or oh, no. Are they just going through trouble? No, no. These, uh, like these are uh, simply the tribute to the praise of God's glorious grace of the doctrine of election. These, the, the 144,000, are the ones that have been chosen, elected of God from the foundation of the world. They do believe in God. That, yes, they uh, uh, they will uh, at that time. Yeah, they are marked. That's the reason. Now, notice there that they uh, they at the time they were sealed, they were already believers in Christ. They had already uh, because they were they were called my servants. Seal my servants in their part. That doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Of course, those that. And believe in uh, uh, salvation and in ordinances, efficacy of ordinances, uh, tell you that the seal uh, of baptism, of course, is included here. Uh, but now the Bible speaks about the person being sealed, but when it talks about the seal, it is with reference to the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. And that's when uh, reference is made to a person's regeneration or to salvation. As we commonly call it, see. Does this mean that you understand the Bible teach that there will be a huge of preaching Jesus Christ as we now know it before his return? Does that indicate that? Well, uh, of course, uh, uh, it will be for a short period. They won't have much time uh, as far as that's concerned. And I, I doubt whether there will be too much preaching by now, of course, the dispensationalists tell you that this 144,000 are the preachers that produced the great multitude uh, in the uh, uh, the last half of chapter 7. 
But there's no authority for believing that. I mean, there's no biblical authority. But they do believe in God to the extent that they stand up to be counted. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. And that is uh, that shows you uh, that uh, the assurance and the uh, complete that God will not uh, cast off, and He has not forgotten whom He has, even though they up to this time they've been enemies to, uh, on account of the gospel, with reference to the gospel, they didn't believe it before, but yet they have been marked out by God, and this hundred and forty-four thousand represents that sum total. Of all of the Jews that will be on earth, uh, that are redeemed, and they were so by the blood of the Lamb, made white in the blood, just as uh, Gentiles. <laughs> well, now we come to then verse one of chapter eight, and uh, <clears throat> there are some twenty-seven theories about what is happens here in this silent period. Thirty minutes time, well, first place, it certainly is not a description of the eternal state or heaven because uh, there wouldn't be any women there. It's silent. But uh, most people tell you that because you wouldn't have that many people in uh, silent at one time unless it was uh, done, performed, or at the result of the command of God. And there's no uh, no reference here to God commanding the silence. There's nothing here, no inference anywhere that God says, now let's wait a minute, you know, something's fixing to happen. Let's all get quiet, see. Uh, and, uh, many of the more orthodox interpreters of Revelation tells you that the silence is indicative of the fact that the saints on earth are praying. And the angels in heaven uh, are receiving their prayers, adding to their prayers the incense off the altar, and that part is true because the Bible uh, mentions that. Uh, and they come up before God. And, uh, of course, they argue on the basis that while here uh, in religious services, while we all uh, get quiet when a man, a person, begins to pray, uh, quite so much so that a pen dropped, you might hear you. But a man can read God's word, and they'll run all over the house. They'll keep walking on in. They'll come right on down the aisle. But you let a man pray while they stop at the door. See? All right. Some take uh, on the basis of that, uh, say that there's silence in heaven, see, because of the prayers uh, coming up to God. Then, a great number tells you that this silence represents uh, is a prefiguring the uh, the, uh, the rest at which the saints enter the eternal rest of God and that uh, those who advocate the seventh day tells you that this is uh, typical of the rest of the Sabbath but um, the uh, no one knows whatever you would say would be a guess but uh, from the setting of the book that it's that this occurs uh, in the midst of God pouring out his judgments upon the earth and now this seventh trumpet the sixth seal 
revealed much greater persecution and trouble upon the earth than the previous seals did. Therefore, when the angel, the seventh seal is released, uh, it's a lot more in keeping the book to assume that the silence was produced because a whole heaven was uh, overcome by the uh, extremity, the intensity of the suffering that was to be inflicted, poured out upon the earth. That it was a moment of silence uh, because of that judgment. In other words, they, literally, as we would say, their breath was taken away because of its, uh, uh, because of what followed. Now, of course, no one knows it's silent. Uh, there was silence in, in heaven for 30 minutes. And every time anybody preaches on what uh, the 30-minute silence means, well, of course, he's, uh, he just guessed. But, um, but anyway, uh, verse 2 now, notice uh, he says, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then verse 3 immediately says, I saw another angel. Now, verse 6, chronologically, or with reference to the subject matter, belongs after verse 6. Uh, I mean, after verse 5, between verse 5 and 6. You see, verse 2, John is seeing the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Verse 6, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. That makes a continuous, a smooth reading. But it may be that John, uh, uh, that God wanted John uh, to have this right at this point. And it may not be uh, that it has been misplaced. Uh, in other words, John saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them was given seven trumpets, and that's all he saw about it. He leaves that subject abruptly. And verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. And then he changes to the seven angels, see, that have the seven trumpets. But the first five verses, outside of, uh, I mean, uh, verse 3, and verse 4 and 5, verses 3, 4, and 5, deal with an angel officiating or performing his ministry at the altar. Now, <clears throat> again, uh, you can read uh, just uh, dozens of interpretation as to who this angel is. Well, what difference does it make who this angel is? It's an angel. It's an angel of God. It's one appointed in the service of God. And to go beyond that, even though, well, they say, well, it can't be an ordinary angel, uh, not even an archangel. And, of course, uh, you know, in the apocryphal books, they, you have the seven angels 
Raphael and Rugiel and Sariel and, and, uh, and Gabriel and Michael and, and Uriel. Well, uh, that's uh, Rimiel, too. That's the seven angels that the Jews uh, thought of as archangels. Uh, and yet, they thought of a pious Jew, a very devout Jew, as being much higher uh, than uh, these seven angels, because these seven angels had to work day and night. And uh, according to a pious Jew, uh, no man uh, violated the Sabbath, see? So they even put uh, a rabbi uh, on earth higher than these angels that had to work, work day and night. But uh, John saw seven angels, and we'll uh, skip verse 2 till we get down to <coughs> verse 6. But now, <coughs> the angel stood at the altar. What altar? Well, uh, some tell you that it's a brazen altar. Some tell you that it's the altar of incense. Well, it certainly has to do with incense, and uh, it's... Uh, and, uh, it might be proper to refer to it as the altar of incense because incense throughout the Old Testament scriptures, that was the purpose of it, associated with the prayers of the saints. And here, uh, incense is added. You know, we've seen once before that the prayers of saints in, uh, in a bowl presented before God. Now, what are they crying for? Uh, they're crying, previously we've seen that they cried, How long, O Lord? In other words, uh, they're wanting the end time to come. They're wanting the time when vengeance would be meted out upon them. That has been the prayer of the righteous Jew, the persecuted Jew, all these ages. And it's also been the cry of martyrs. Uh, Tertullian, man, you ought to read uh, a book uh, uh, that he wrote in his writings, uh, two or three chapters, where he He's longing for the time to come when he could see those people that was taking the Christians and the children of God, you know, all over and putting them and dumping them down in hot oil and pulling them up and putting them back down and laughing and ridiculing them and holding them up, burning them and making light torches. And uh, Tertullian says, the day's coming when we'll get to look down on on you, see, as being burning and uh, and he laughed, see, and a lot of people say, well, Tertullian wasn't Christian. You'll take these modernists today, these do-gooders, uh, and he say, oh, that's not Christian. You ought to pray for your enemies, see. Well, Christ did teach that. Paul preached that too, see. Uh, and yet, uh, it's God that says vengeance belongs to God, see, to me, and, and God's going to repay. And that vengeance uh, here is uh, simply the cry of the martyrs, they are crying the, the prayer of the ages, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Well, they're conscious of the fact that there is injustice on the earth, see. They're conscious of the fact that they are persecuted, uh, as the Lord said, just simply because they profess His name, they're His followers. But here the prayers, now these prayers, and, and He takes the a coal, and then sends it to the earth, which symbolically, apparently, signifies that God has answered their prayers now. And the prayer that's answered by the prayers of the saints 
is what we're fixing to read. Uh, notice in verse, the angel, verse 5, he took the censer and filled it with the fire off the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake that uh, signifies as a result of casting the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the coal into the earth, the fire, which is a fire of judgment. And by these sounds, these noises, thunderings, lightning, earthquake, typical of judgment. And God's fixing to pour it out upon the earth. Now, verse 7. Could I say something yeah. about verse 5? Yeah. You know, when Paul and Silas prayed in prison, there was earthquakes. They That's were praying and singing. That's right. Could that be used as reference here? Well, uh, as to the earthquake, as to God uh, intervening, Yes, and I, and I make that statement right here now. When 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 the angels take the trumpet, see, uh, every time uh, that we uh, in this uh, uh, in, with reference to the trumpet judgment, or in time past when there was an earthquake, at the and the trumpets connected, it was always the act of God intervening in the world. God from heaven coming, personally, directly intervening, taking part, uh, holding back the ordinary laws of nature in order to uh, work his will, in order to, um, uh, uh, to give something. All right, for instance, we'll, uh, uh, we'll look at uh, some of them. When, when uh, in Exodus 19, verse 16 and 19, you have uh, God gave the law. Well, what was it? There was an earthquake. At the giving, giving of the law, at the blowing of the trumpet, the trumpet blow. That's a, and uh, Joel two one says, "Blow ye the trumpet." You know, uh, well, the trumpets were blown in the old and older times, of course, uh, for uh, for various reasons. And I put uh, I put a note uh, sometime ago in my uh, uh, on this page to denote the type or the meaning of the trumpets. And here they are. Alarm, assembly, arrival, attack. In other words, the, uh, the, it was sounded, uh, the bugle was sounded, the trumpet was sounded to give alarm in case uh, of an enemy or a beast or anything disturbing the peace of the camp when it was, uh, when it was at rest. Well, at the same time, whenever... Uh, the the uh, the camp was uh, the people were uh, uh, engaging in warfare. Why the trumpet was blown to attack for war? It was blown when after having marched for certain periods of time, if they wanted to assemble, congregate, stop. Why it was uh, blown to to assemble, to gather together, and uh, then it was blown. Upon the arrival in, uh, in in biblical times, uh, for the arrival of some uh, important personage like a king or, or a prime minister or a foreign representative, some man of dignity, uh, they took the horns. Well, we uh, sing uh, uh, salute his flag. We'll sing uh, the anthem, you know, and, and then we'll sing the anthem for the country from which the man comes. 
Well, in the New Testament, every time that you have uh, the trumpet blowing, you have God intervening. You have an act of God. An out of this world into this world. From heaven to earth. When uh, in First uh, uh, Thessalonians 4, when the trumpet blows, the trumpet sounds, you have God returning from heaven to the earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, 3, long there, you have a record of uh, the Lord uh, raising the dead. There is God uh, manifesting, exerting his power over the dead. See? Now that's an act, direct act of God. That's not uh, man in cooperation with God. Or God in cooperation with man. It was purely, solely the act of God. Then, in Matthew 24, 31, when the trumpet blown, you have the angels were sent throughout the world to gather together his elect from the four corners of the earth. So, uh, the, uh, it, it's uh, worthy of notice to, uh, to note those uh, points. But now, verse 6 says, And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. But now put verse 2 before it. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. You see how uh, how it reads when you bring verse 2 down immediately after uh, ahead of verse 6? Or if you put it ahead or below it, it really sounds better to put put it before, before verse 6. But anyway, uh, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, how did they make preparation? Well, I don't know. Maybe it was getting arm room, you know, to get 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 elbow room, to get ready to blow. Might be getting a deep breath. I don't know. Anything that people write and they just fill books with, with tomfoolery like that on what is the preparation of the angel. Well, uh, they got ready anyway. And when the time, when God warned him to toot, well, he was ready to to let that, uh, let that thing sound. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.